Welcome to Transformative Talk. Each episode is hosted by a different graduate student in Dr. Haddad's courses at the University of Texas in San Antonio. Join us today as we explore how educators can use critical social theories to transform themselves and their classrooms. Educators can get real and share real-life experiences, near misses, and big little wins. This is Amy Anderson, Sibel Lacomat, and Sherry Lopez, your host for the episode of Transformative Talk. In this episode, we're going to talk about critical race theory in education. Um, what is crit- uh, critical race theory? Critical race theory, CRT, is a hypothetical uh, framework in the social sciences that uses critical theory to examine society and culture as they relate to categorizations of race, law, and power. So CRT emerged from criticism of the critical legal studies, CLS movement. CLS scholars questioned the role of the traditional legal system in legitimizing oppressive social cultures structures. With this insightful analysis, CLS scholarship emphasized critique of the liberal legal tradition as opposed to offering strategies for change. CRT started up with works of Derrick Bell and Alan Freeman because they were deeply distressed over the slow pace of racial reform in the United States. They felt that one reason why the CLS critique of the law could not offer strategies for social transformation was because it failed to incorporate race and racism into the analysis. Amy and I are going to discuss the tenets of CRT. The five tenets of CRT can be used to analyze social inequities. Tenet one states that racism is a permanent fixture that controls how U.S. society functions politically, socially, and economically. Referring to tenet one, there has been growth in the diversity of representation in the political field, but there is not enough. One of the structures that hold back the oppressed from taking office is that they are competing against white opponents who come from generations of money and power that have generally been structured to keep them in power and others out. Even economically, there are still pay differences based on ethnicity and gender in the United States. That is why critical race theory is important to the discussion of the racial injustices that are heavily rooted in our society. In Tenet 2, CRT challenges the dominant ideology of white privilege. Colorblindness allows people to ignore racism, that everyone's neutral and equal even though we're not. Amy, how do you think the education system plays into the white privilege? Well, even though there have been educational institutions that say they are making changes to provide equal opportunities, there needs to be a huge educational reform. Those who are oppressed and are minorities barely have a voice or valid acknowledgement in the U.S. education curriculum. Referring back to Latsine Billings' article, many stories and contributions of African Americans are muted and erased. Latsine Billings refers to the contributions of Rosa Parks to even be simplified to a tired seamstress rather than the full story of her participation in social justice groups. Honestly, I had no idea of the full background of Rosa Parks and her preparation for the sit-in until I was a college student. That is disappointing and just a small percent of the many stories of minorities that are changed, simplified, or stories that are never said in the U.S. curriculum. In Tenet 3, CRT is committed to social justice. Here, CRT wants to liberate and transform oppression of gender, race, and class. Also, CRT exposes interest convergence. 
I would like to add in Ladson Billings that whites have been the primary beneficiaries of civil rights legislation. For example, it stated in her article, the policy of affirmative action benefited whites. More specifically, many of the recipients of the affirmative action hiring policies have been white women being able to find work. Also, one of the terms brought up was interest convergence. I thought it was interesting that they explained the term through a story of Arizona not wanting to have a Martin Luther King Jr. holiday commemoration with the excuse that it would be too costly. I was frustrated just reading that part. Arizona only changed its decision when the NBA and NFL threatened to not have sports events in Arizona due to their failure to recognize the MLK holiday. Latson Billing goes on to explain that no one was naive to believe that the governor changed his mind based on the recognition of the importance of MLK. He had changed, he had a change in interest because he realized the impact of losing sports entertainment revenue. As she stated, thus converging interests, not support of civil rights, led to the reversal of the state's position. It's sad to think that many changes in the state policies and laws are made not in recognition of changing racial injustices, but for some, but for someone else's gain. In tenant four, this is about CRT recognizing that minorities have experiential knowledge that is important in teaching racial subordination. Amy, can you tell me why storytelling is important in CRT? Yes. I read in the article with Latin Billing, she stated stories provide the necessary context for understanding, feeling, and interpreting. Storytelling provides voice to the legal discourses of racial, injust racial justice. It provides a way for the storyteller to help overcome ethnocentrism, hopefully helping to stop those who are in power to stop judging those who are oppressed in their privileged views. They even refer to storytelling in critical race theory as medicine to heal the wounds of pain caused by the racial oppression, that the stories shared can help those realize how one came to be oppressed and subjugated and allow them to stop inflicting mental violence on themselves. Tenant 5 covers the transdisciplinary perspective. Racism can be analyzed from different points of view by including disciplines such as ethnic studies and women's studies. And one of the ways that I try to have more of an inclusive classroom of different cultures is by an and validation is by having lessons on different cultures. Even during the holidays, we um, in my classroom we do projects where students get to learn and interact with different cultures and how they celebrate their holidays. We would like to talk about relevance CRT has in education since we are educators. By the way, I have to say I really like Yosu's title on the reading whose culture has capital. Yosu defines CRT in education as a theoretical and analytical framework that challenges the ways race and racism impact educational structures, practices, and discourses. Schools most often oppress and marginalize while they maintain their potential to emancipate and empower. CRT in education refutes dominant ideology and white privilege while validating and centering the experience of people of color. As part of the challenge to deficit thinking in education, it should be noted that race is often coded as cultural difference in schools. Indeed, cultural influences how society is organized, how school curriculum is developed, and how pedagogy and policy are implemented. In social science, the concept of culture for student of color has taken on many divergent meanings. Our classmate, Juliana Trevino, quotes Yoso's article about deficit thinking. 
Soyoso says, indeed, one of the most prevalent forms of contemporary racism in U.S. schools is deficit thinking. Deficit thinking takes the position that minority students and families are at fault for poor academic performance because either students enter school without the normative culture, knowledge, and skills, or the parents neither value nor support their children's education. Juliana said in her experience in the public school system when working the South Side um, teaching fifth and sixth grade science in a predominantly Hispanic and low, and low income area, she's had professional she has a professional learning community which consisted of other fifth and sixth grade science teachers. As a novice teacher, I was constantly searching for new lessons and ways to engage and challenge my students. The response I would get from my team would never change. They always told me that students could not do the work. They had already chosen to believe that what their students were capable of before they even gave the students a chance to show their abilities. It was discouraging at first, but I ignored the comment and continued to challenge and see their amazing growth. As referred by Yoso, critical race theory states that communities of color nurture cultural wealth through at least six forms of capital, such as aspirational, navigational, social, linguistic, familial, and resistant capital. Aspirational capital referring to their ability to maintain hopes and dreams for their future. Linguistic capital refers to the intellectual and social skills attained through communication experiences in more than one language and or style. Family capital refers to those cultural knowledge nurtured among family. While social capital is important, is the importance of networks of people and community resources. Navigational capital refers to skills of maneuvering through social institutions. And last but not least, resistant capital refers to the knowledge and skills fostered through oppositional behavior that, um, behavior that challenges inequality. Hey, I have an example of a familiar and linguistic form of capital from my life. Um, I was born and raised in Turkey, so um, I still practice the norms of Turkish culture. Uh, so we, as a family, celebrate Turkish national and religious holidays. And I tried to teach my children Turkish culture. And I also spoke Turkish with my children at home. And I taught them my mother tongue uh, when they were young. So they really enjoy being bilingual. In my experience, my husband has great stories of how his family has overcome diversity, being poor, and striving to be better. My, parents, my husband's parents demonstrated aspirational capital by encouraging their kids in the toughest of times to stay strong and go after your goals. He grew up in poverty around gangs and drugs. With little education his parents had, they tried to instill high aspirations in their children so they may grow up to go to college and have better job opportunities to raise their children in safer neighborhoods. Connecting to resistant capital, I come from my, a diverse family. My father is African-American and my mother is native Japanese. Up until I was about eight years old, I lived in a community that was a small rural town that was predominantly white. Um, I vividly remember being so hurt by the angry glares and the constant staring. My dad's family was always very loving and accepting and saying that we all look different, but we're family. Through my family support, I started to learn not to be so self-conscious of other people's ignorant acts. We will be back after the break to focus on Ladson Billings. What is critical race theory doing in a nice field like education? Welcome back to this week's transformative talk. I'm Amy Anderson, Sibel Lacoma, and Sherry Lopez. Um, we will be introducing uh, Gloria Ladson Billings' article Just what is critical race theory and what is it doing in a nice field like education? 
um, I would like to talk about curriculum in the United States. Um, according to Lots and Billings, curriculum is designed to maintain a white supremacy master script. She's right. Why? Because the first curriculum was written by white educators. The National Education Association formed the Committee of Ten in 1892. The committee was largely composed of representatives of white men in higher education. And I would like to add from Ladson Billings' article a story about curriculum being Eurocentric. All, she also referenced Martin Luther King Jr. as to becoming a sanitized folk hero who enjoyed the full support of good Americans rather than a disdained scholar and an activist whose vision extended to social justice causes throughout the world and challenged the USA on issues of economic injustices and aggression in Southeast Asia. In instruction, um, Ladson Billen states that current instructional strategies presume that minorities are deficient. This causes teachers to label students at risk or place in the remedial classes. The teachers focus on trying to find the right strategy, but when a strategy doesn't work, then it's the student failing, not the techniques. So how can we change our instructional strategies to support all students? I say cultural relevant teaching is one way to close this gap. Every student comes to school with knowledge from their families. As an educator, we have to know our students' culture and utilize their culture as delivery of instruction for learning. Yosu states that this interpretation demonstrates Anzaldua's point. If we have been gagged and disempowered by theories, we can also be loosened and empowered by theories. People of color weren't only disempowered by theories, but with laws to in, in history. Here are two historical facts that empowerment over people of color in the past. In between 1830 and 1863, Louisiana passes laws prohibiting the education of slaves. Other states soon follow. Scholars will later theorize that the increase in manufacturing in the North causes an increased need for cotton in the South. Funding and educational reform for Northern primarily white students will marginalize the minority students in the South. Additionally, prohibiting slaves to read, read keeps them ignorant of their rights and less likely to revolt. And other one is in May, May 17, 1954, Brown versus Board of Education of Topeka. This court ruling decided that separate educational facilities were unequal and overturned the case of Plessy versus Ferguson. Furthermore, it was unconstitutional, violating the 14th Amendment, which is equal protection of laws and presented schooling as a disparity for children in a minority population. The reversal of segregation in schools across the United States was the first step toward equality in the democratic education system. It's crazy to think that these changes happened within the last hundred years. I mean, my own father went through segregated schools until he was in second grade. Latson Billing states that the most that most curriculum assessments may tell us that students do not know what is on a test, but fail to tell us what students actually know. She even referred to a story of how one 10-year-old African-American student 
was deemed a poor math student by her teacher. However, her teacher did not know the home life of the student, that that student was able to support her family and assume the roles or the responsibilities of her drug addicted mother by budgeting and paying all of the household bills. Lotson and Billing say that perhaps no area of schooling underscores inequality and racism better than school funding. CRT argues that inequality in school funding is a function of institutional and structural racism. The inability of African Americans to qualify for educational advancements, jobs, and mortgages creates a cycle of law, educational achievement, underemployment and unemployment, and standard housing. Without suffering a single act of personal racism, most African Americans suffer the consequences of systemic and structural racism. I believe funding for schools in low-income areas should be more than other schools. Instead of state funding schools based on property tax, they must change that to something else. All the schools in the states should be funded equally. Parents who live in high-income areas may make donations for schools if they like, and education is not a privilege, it is a right. Critical race theory argues that rather than serving as a solution to inequity, school desegregation has been promoted only in ways that advantage white students. Even with the district desegregation programs, she, um, there was one example from the article how in Buffalo, African-American students were still failing within this new program because white students were able to take advantage of special magnet programs. As we wrap up CRT, I want to discuss the short video called Space Traders, produced in the early 90s by Derek Bell. Yes, this movie's a low-budget, cheap special effects sci-fi B-movie. It'll probably make you laugh and you will even think this is ludicrous. For those who haven't watched it yet, I'll give you a brief summary. It first starts off with extraterrestrials arriving on Earth, specifically in the United States, to offer a trade. They offer the U.S. enough gold to solve the national debt, safe nuclear power, and environmental remediation in exchange for the government's handing over of all black U.S. citizens. They give the U.S. 17 days to think this over. As you watch the video, whites are not outraged as you would expect. The president establishes two phone numbers to call in a vote for a yes, let's trade, and no, or no trade. The two 900 numbers are set up. Almost immediately, there's an overwhelming vote for yes. At the end, African Americans are gathered up, chained together, and held at gunpoint as each one is being bept individually. The government did not question why the aliens wanted the African Americans. They didn't care what treatment they would receive. Even though space traders is fiction, it is relevant today. Bell is relating this treatment of African Americans to slave trade. Another issue that is prominent in the movie, in the movie is the voting process. In Lats and Billings, she discusser, discusses Lainey Guineer's idea on how the electoral process was not equitable for minorities. The only way to level the playing field for minorities is for minority votes to count for more than their actual numbers due to the lack of representation. But this was seen as un-American. In the movie, African Americans did not have a chance against the white vote. So you say there's no way our government would consider this? 
Look at our current president. He has ridiculed persons with disabilities, objectified women, and has referred to the current immigration coming through the Mexican border as an infestation and comparing his impeachment inquiry to lynching. Trump has dehumanized minorities over and over publicly. A fellow classmate, Amanda Martinez, quoted Ladson Billings. Our notions of race and its use are so complex that even when it fails to make sense, we continue to employ and deploy it. Amanda said, people are very uncomfortable when talking about race. Even I myself feel a little uncomfortable talking about it, but I'm aware that it's real and it exists in our world and that ignoring it is not going to make the issues it creates go away. This can be seen just recently in Fort Worth in the shooting of Atiana Jefferson. Just a little over a week ago, the city council had 350 people in their chambers, 200 more waiting outside, and 60 people signed up to speak. Speaker after speaker was escorted off the podium by the marshal as a request of the mayor, Betsy Price, because the speakers were not sticking to the agenda set about zoning. People began to chant, let these people speak. We don't feel safe. The mayor continued to threaten to have people removed or adjourn the meeting. People spoke about not feeling safe because of the Fort Worth Police Department, expressed how they were angry and scared and how they feel for Jefferson's family. And during these speeches, council members were not paying attention on their and they were on their cell phones. One speaker said that racism is systematic and it cannot be ignored. Carol Madsen, one of our classmates, asked in her journal, said, is this true in other countries? Is the U.S. unique in their history of slavery and property ownership that gave status and privilege? I think Lotson Billings is implying that is uniquely American, but I wonder if in other countries, class and race are also viewed as conjoined. I would like to answer a question by giving an example of discrimination in Turkey. So in Turkey, there are many Arabs and Kurds that live in the East Coast along the border with the Middle East. Um, I lived there for several years as an outsider uh, who was exposed to discrimination too. And I had to change the style of my outfits so they won't think I'm from the West Coast of Turkey. And where I grew up, West Coast, uh, I haven't experienced any discrimination against other people. Because Izmir is the most modern city in Turkey with a mixture of many different cultures. And even I had experience in Japan Racism is an issue that I experienced with my mom and my sister. Um, there are those who like the idea of how if you are mixed or an immigrant, you are not considered Japanese. Racism can come in many different ways. My mom had angry glares from some elderly Japanese who did not trust or like others who are not of Japanese descent or did not look of Japanese descent. I would say that World War II affected some of the elderly Japanese citizens' views of those who they deemed to be Japanese. So in conclusion, Yoso states that change requires more than words on a page. It takes perseverance, it takes creative ingenuity, and acts of love. The stories we hear expose the racism underlining cultural deficit. These stories we hear give educators a chance for our students to have a voice. Change is more than singing ethnic songs and celebrating multiculturalism on Black History Month or American Heritage Month. This is superficial and trivial celebrations of diversity. Lats and Billings doubt CRT and education will go very far. 
She says, if we are serious about solving these problems in schools and classrooms, this means that we'll have to expose racism in education and propose radical solutions. Do you think the U.S. is ready for this uncomfortable, unpopular, and radical positions to be out in the open, especially in a nice field like education? To learn more about critical race theory, you can refer to Gloria Lanson Billings' article called Just What is Critical Race Theory and What is It Doing in a Nice Field Like Education? And also Tara Yoso's article called Whose Cultural Has Capital? A Critical Race Theory Discussion of Community Cultural Wealth. That's all for this episode. Thanks for listening. And remember, if you want to support what we do, then share subscribe and leave a review wherever you discovered our show that's all for now but we'll see you in the next episode of the transformative talk bye, bye.